Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. I'm very, very happy to be with you. However, I'm not with you while I'm with you live, but this is a pre-recorded program because I am traveling, um, putting our new home together. So um, this is pre-recorded, and it's something I've been wanting to do. So you won't be able to call in with questions or text or email today, but um, I'm going to continue this as soon as we're back this week. And um, I think it's so important. It's been on my heart for a long time. I think it's the answer to everything wrong with our society, um, all the immorality, all of that. It's a book by a very famous apologist, Frank J. Sheed. Let me see if I can see this so I could show you the book. Um, it's probably republished under a much, much nicer cover now, but it's called Society and Sanity, and it is published by F.J. Frank J. Sheed, um, published by Sheed and Ward. Frank Sheed met uh, Maisie Ward, and they got married and formed a publishing company, and the two of the greatest souls, <clears throat> Catholic faithful souls that you could read. We have many books by Frank Sheed, one of the greatest apologists of a couple of centuries ago. So let's see, the book was published, um, oh, in 1953. But I tell you, beloved, this is as current as could be. And it's what everybody is missing in the whole uh, morality field, the same-sex marriage, the gender ideology, all of that. It is what's missing is the understanding that's in this book. Now, if I'm going to go through it little by little, um, and you got to put your thinking cap on, because it's this is not deep theological uh, stuff, but it is not popular reading. It it takes some thinking, and I have been reading through it, and I think it's magnificent. So, let me just read you from the from the jacket of the book of Society and Sanity. And it says, um, hold on, Um, this is, um, he says, as the title suggests, this book is a companion to the author's Theology and Sanity, which I read, Help Me Into the Church, tremendous. The reason his books are tremendous is that he is incredibly knowledgeable, wonderfully intelligent, a deep insightful thinker, and yet he writes so simply as for us to be able to get it. And so that's how his book, Theology and Sanity, really helped me into the church and other things that he and Maisie had written also. And so um, it's a companion to the author's Theology and Sanity, the distinction being that whereas the earlier book was upon man's relationship to God, this present one is upon man's relation to man. 
and we'll never get that right apart from God. We will never get that right apart from God. That's my own comment. I'll continue on the uh, jacked cover here. The first part of this book, um, Society and Sanity, discusses man as the Christian knows him to be. Now, this is to be a Christian fully, is to be a Catholic Christian, as, of course, Frank Sheet was. The first part discusses man as the Christian knows him to be, what he is, what the purpose of his existence is, and what principles should guide beings of that sort or that goal in their dealings with one another. The second part applies these principles to marriage and the family, something very deep on my heart, and... um, something most of you are living in the midst of, marriage and the family. Either the breakup of the family or struggles with the family or planning a family. And the third part of the book is society and the state. Now listen to this, beloved. It is a book of principles, not blueprints. So um, it is is really, uh, let me just say the depth of my heart, how I function, my thinking. Because if you know truth and you know the principles, you can apply them to, to situations. Um, not just, well, what should I do here? First, you have to know the truth of the moral law. You have to understand God's principles, and then you can apply it without applying it um, in an evil way. So this says, it is a book of principles, not blueprints. There is no effort to describe the ideal family or draw up the constitution of the ideal state, but only to establish as clearly as may be the elements, largely forgotten elements, that husbands and wives and citizens must have in mind if they are to make anything of their tasks. You see, I think of people who say, this is going on in the church, that's going on in the church, I'm leaving the church. Well, you don't know the church. Then you don't know the church. Nobody who knows what the Catholic Church is would leave, because you're leaving Christ. If you leave the Catholic Church, you're leaving Christ. And if you know that, you would do anything but leave Christ. If you believe in him and if you love him, you would not leave Christ. You would take another task, another path, but you wouldn't do your own thing. And that's to do your own thing with ignorance. Um, Ignorance is not stupidity. It means you just don't know. These elements bear the same relation to sociology as the multiplication tables to arithmetic. They are not the thing itself, but an absolutely essential preliminary without which there must be chaos. And beloved, I propose that this is why the world is in such chaos today. They don't know the truth. They don't know him who is the truth. They don't have these principles. Um, So we're going to jump in here. And the first part of it is sanity. Sanity is the point. Sanity. What is sanity? To be sane is to... See yourself as you are. To see yourself as God sees you. To be sane is to see things 
as they are in reality, not in a distorted light. But to be sane is to see things, to see reality as it truly is. That's why somebody who's insane uh, sees all kinds of uh, things that don't exist because they don't see reality. Okay, so to begin with, uh, he says, sanity is the point. Let me just get my little light here so I can read to you a small print for me. Um, Okay, and uh, the author says this, Frank Sheet says this. Now, are you okay with that light shining in my face? Yeah, put on sunglasses. (laughs) Um, He says this, our treatment of anything must depend on the last, in the last resort, on what we think it is. Hold on. For instance, we treat people one way and cats another. Now you're going to think, I told you he's simple, but he's going to make the point with these illustrations, which I need very much to really get it. So, um, Our treatment of anything must depend in the last resort on what we think it is. For example, for instance, we treat people one way and cats another because of our idea of what a man is and what a cat is. All our institutions, family, school, trade union, government, laws, customs, anything you please, grew out of what those who made them thought A man was, a human being, not a man in the male gender, mankind. God made man and made him male and female. What a man is, what a human being is. If you want to understand them, um, uh, profoundly, you must get at the idea of man that they express. There are periods of human history when it is not immediately and obviously necessary to make this sort of profound inquiry, when institutions are long established, functioning healthily, serving happiness, the mass of men may very well decide simply to live by them and ask no questions. But when anything goes wrong with an institution— so that we have to decide whether to mend it, and if so, how, or to scrap it, and if so, what to put in its place, then the question that man is immediately, then the question of what man is immediately becomes not only practical, but of the first practicality. Are you with me, beloved? You know, I think this is going to help us. You might have struggle in your marriage, struggle with your children, struggle with your parents, struggle with your school, struggle with all that. And at the bottom, we may not be seeing one another as God has intended. We may be seeing them through our own eyes, our own failings, our own limitations, our own needs, all of that. I think this would be very helpful to us. Frank Chi says this is so for two reasons, one of them vital, but in our day widely denied, the other vital and not in any day deniable. The first reason is that all social orders are made for men and must be tested by their aptitude to men. 
There are those who would smile at this. Hold on now. I need a page turner. Hang on. Okay. There are those who would smile at this. Um, okay. And for the moment, I shall not argue with them, he says, but go on to the second reason, which nobody can deny, that all social orders are made of men. And again, don't worry about the genders here. There's male and female, but it's called men, mankind, human beings. People making engines study steel. People making statues study marble. People making social systems should study man, for man is as much the raw material of social systems as steel is of engines or marble of statutes. And whereas we are not all making engines or statues, we are all involved in the making of social systems, from small ones like the family up to the largest, the state, to which we belong. Our whole life consists in getting along with other human beings. Isn't that something? You might be a hermit. You might be a loner. You don't like this. But that's what our life consists of, beloved. In our personal relations, therefore, the question is, how should men be treated? In the political order, the question is exactly the same. Now, you cannot intelligently decide how anything should be treated until you are quite clear what the thing is. You cannot know how men should be treated until you are quite clear on what a man is. And you may be listening to this and say, come on, this is run, spot, run, Dick and Jane. What do you, we know what man is. Very few of us do. We, few of us do. And anyone who supports contraception, abortion, same-sex marriage, gender ideology, euthanasia, um, concentration camps, all those evils do not know what man is. They don't want to know. And they don't care. Man is an animal for them to do with as they wish. Um, they don't know. And we who live moral lives hardly know. We hardly know. And how do we know that? Because of the way we treat one another. We hardly know. Let me go on with this. I speak for myself as well. What, that is why the world, word sanity is the title of this book. Sanity means seeing what is living in the reality of things. If a man sees what is not, snakes crawling out of his wallpaper, for instance, or himself as Napoleon, he is not sane. The trouble is that we do not always know when people are seeing what is not or failing to see what is. It can happen less spectacularly than in the instances quoted. But the principle abides... Mistaking what is not for what is means that sanity is defective. Wishful thinking, for example, taking one's wishes for reality 
is mental defect. Now, I'm not going to tell you there's anything wrong with wishful thinking because I do plenty of that. But taking your wishes for reality is mental defect. So is taking one's fears for reality. It's mental defect, beloved. That's not reality. So is taking anything but what is for reality. Wishful thinking is the commonest, um, is most common. Um, In sociology and politics, it is almost universal, wishful thinking, just about all of us. And, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as we don't take it for reality. It is horribly easy. We concentrate upon the thing we want, a particular arrangement of society. Hold on, let me see what I can do with this light to keep it out of your eyes anyway. Um, I hope you're okay with this. Um, So here we go. We concentrate upon the thing we want, a particular arrangement of society, say, so that it grows larger and larger in our mind. We regard obstacles naturally with impatience. We get no pleasure out of, uh, out of looking at them. Look at them less and less. Finally, stop seeing them. The obstacles are still there, of course, but they are no longer there for us. Only the wish is real. We may still allude to the obstacles, but only to assure our hearers and reassure ourselves of the firmness of our hold on reality. I could think of a few candidates for president in these days that that describes perfectly. Wishful thinkers love the slogans of realism. When you hear a speaker say, quote, facts, gentlemen, are stubborn things, end quote, prepare for a ramble through utopia. In every field, the test of sanity is what is. In the field of human relations, the special test is what man is. This is the point at which sociology must be rooted in reality. If it is not, no amount of accurate investigation and scientific weighing of evidence at subsequent stages will heal the defect at its roots. Beloved, we can dream. I spend my whole life dreaming. I have a great dream about this community, a huge, huge, huge dream. I don't know that it's God's dream. So I'm, I'm walking, wanting his will more than any dream of mine. But dreams, visions of, of what we want to be and become and how we want to live, um, they're wonderful. They're inspirational. But, um, but if, we, if they take us out of reality, uh, we're in trouble. Um, so Frank Sheet says this, but in the whole of our social life, man is overlooked. Can you imagine that? I look at all the candidates talking about socialism and um, uh, Medicare for all and paying off school loans and everything that's going to make life terrific and it's really going to utterly destroy us. They don't know what man is. They don't know what man is. Not one of them. I'm telling you this. You say, Mother Miriam, what's your problem? Who are you to judge? Look at the result. 
How could anybody know what man is who proposes socialism and communism and fascism? How could anybody know that? Look at the result of it. Utter destruction of mankind. Man is overlooked. Man is taken simply as a word, the label for a particular kind of being, the kind to which we belong ourselves. And nobody stops for any serious consideration of what the word means. We proceed immediately to consider how to make the creature happier without ever asking what the creature is. It should be just the other way around. When some new proposal is made which affects the way men live, our immediate reaction is always to ask, will it make men happier? But this should be the second question, not the first. The first question should be, does it fit the nature of man? You can make a child happier by giving him a bowl of sugar with a spoon. Uh, He's going to be happy, but does it fit his nature as man physically? You'll kill that child. Frank Sheet goes on to say, the total ignoring of this question runs all through modern life. Education provides an illustration perfect enough to be almost farcical. Throughout most of the Western world, the state is regarded as the normal educator. Schools not conducted by it are regarded as eccentric, and in most countries they exist only precariously. This situation, I say, is taken as normal, whereas, in fact, it is grotesque. Listen to this, beloved, 1953. It is grotesque that the education is left in the hands of the state. He goes on to say, there are hundreds of definitions of education, but one may take as a minimum definition, one which would be accepted by practically everybody, that education is to fit men for living. Supposing you were to write to the education department of your state something to this effect, quote, I note that you are in the business of fitting men for living. Would you mind telling me what a man is? End quote. You imagine that? The only possible answer would be that we live in a liberal democracy, and every man is entitled to accept any religion or philosophy he pleases, and according to its teaching, hold his own view, that man is matter or spirit or both or neither. The state does not decide among them. It is wholly neutral. It does not know what a man is. If you were then to write further and say, quote, I note that as the state, you do not know what a man is. Do you know what living is for? End quote. The answer could only be the same, that it is a matter for each citizen to decide for himself. The state is neutral. The state does not know. I have called this grotesque, Frank Sheet says, and that is to flatter it. To be fitting men for life, to be fitting men for living, not only without knowing what man is or what life is for, but without even thinking the question relevant, indeed without ever having asked them, it is odd beyond all 
words. Yet it does not strike people as odd, and the depth of their unawareness of its oddness is the measure of the decay of thinking about fundamentals. Oh, beloved, don't tune out. Don't tune out. I remember in high school doing a paper on the levels of education, particularly in math and the sciences, with American in the 7th and 8th grades, American schools, Japanese schools, schools all over the world. And America rated uh, below some of the uh, uncivilized nations, utterly below. Why? Because we are no longer taught critical thinking. That is what was absent from the American minds, the American school system. Are they taught to memorize? Are they taught to uh, get proper answers? Uh, Sure. Cheat sheets and all of that. But to think critically? No. Absolutely not. And that's why we're failing. We're ruining our civilization, robbing them of thinking, of principles, and of the very knowledge of who we are as individuals. There is our, uh, the music for our first break, beloved. And again, because this is pre-recorded, you won't be able to call in today. You're certainly welcome to send your emails in, um, and we will get to them when we get back. Okay, hold on. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Confusion on matters of faith and morals is widespread, even within the church. It can be disheartening, with clergy celebrating gay pride masses, the Pope considering allowing women to become priestesses. It is easy to lose sight of the true teachings of the church. LifeSite News Catholic can help. We are a clear, trustworthy news source that is dedicated to the teachings of the church. We, as the laity, have a duty to know and defend our faith and tradition. In order to do so, we must be educated on the teachings of the church and on the truth about current events and developments within the church. Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook and Twitter, or sign up to receive our emails by going to LifeSiteNews.com in order to maintain your clarity and peace in the midst of chaos. Have you ever felt insignificant or unworthy of God's love? In the Gospel of Matthew, our Lord reminds us that even all of the hairs of our head have been counted. Each and every one of us, at every stage of life, is valuable to the kingdom. Human life is sacred. Think about it. CoalitionForLife.com Say. 
Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests as they preach the gospel in the midst of your busy life. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living, weekdays, 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern, on The Station of the Cross. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. It's so good to be with you. And we are... Again, this is a pre-recorded, brand new, fresh program, but pre-recorded because we're out and about uh, making arrangements for our new home. And so um, we began today a book by Frank uh, Sheed, um, which is Society and Sanity. And I say it's probably um, probably republished under a, uh, a new beautiful cover. But this was written in 1953 by one of the church's greatest apologists ever, ever. And it is just tremendous. And I'm not going to re-go, repeat what we've already discussed about it. Um, But the idea is that um, we're talking about doing everything for man. For example, uh, we say, I note that you're in the business of fitting men for living. That's the the state education. Um, Would you mind telling me what a man is and what life is for? And they have no answer because they don't know. And they say they don't know. Well, then how can you fit a man for living if you don't know what a man is? Um, And if you don't know why he's alive, how could you do that? But they do it anyway, you see, and that's a huge, 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 huge problem. So reading through this, I find it wonderfully simply written, but simple doesn't mean uh, without the need to put on our thinking caps and and follow this because it's going to open our minds some, take us through new paths. And if we do that, we'll be able to have the understanding and the principles to struggle less in the midst of evil, to know clearly what decisions to make. And if we don't always know what decisions to make, we'll know very clearly what not to do. And that will help us enormously. So Frank Sheet goes on to say, not only do they not see for themselves that it is odd, they cannot even be shown how odd it is, that it's odd not to know what a man is and not to know what living is for. If one presses the point, they simply change the definition of education. The schools, they say, give their pupils a mass of valuable information and train them in certain techniques so that they can earn a living, integrate with their fellows, and do the things the state requires of its citizens. But this is merely to take the oddness out of the school system by showing the same oddness firmly rooted in the life of society as a whole, right? So we're fitting people for society, which people still don't know what it is because they don't know what man is and they don't know what it's for. Frank Sheed says, for what makes information valuable? How can we integrate with our fellows unless they are integrated themselves? And how do we know? And given the strange things that some states do require of their citizens, how do we know 
that our own state's requirements are not harmful to us as men. None We've gone through, beloved, in the last few weeks, uh, requirements that are harmful to men. Vaccines and, and uh, educational programs that dumb our children down and that utterly, utterly re- corrupt them. This is as obvious today as it could be ever be. And Frank Sheet says, none of these questions can be answered till we know what man is. And you say, oh, come on, Mother Miriam, this author, he keeps harping on that. We took anthropology. We know what man is. Maybe. Maybe. I think very few of us do. And society does not. The state does not. The public education system does not. And what we hear of Catholic schools, they do not either. I would say a good number of them do not. Any Catholic school that has adopted the core C-O-R-E program does not know what man is. Any school that has sex education does not know what man is. I will tell you that, and you'll understand as we read further. Um, Information is valuable if it helps man to be more fully and richly human. See, all this stuff simply doesn't just dumb him down and confuse him and degrade him. It makes him immoral. He is treated like an animal. A man is integrated when all the elements of his nature are rightly related to one another and to the goal of life. The state must not require anything of its citizens, which, with whatever increase of efficiency or material well-being, will diminish them as men. At every turn, and, and as I read this, beloved, parents, this is for you if it's for anyone. You have the stewardship from God of your children. You need to understand this. We all do. And we need to be good stewards of the children God has given us to raise them for heaven and not put them into a corrupt, corrupt system. At every turn, not only in education, but in the whole of life, the whole life, excuse me, of society, the treatment of human beings by one another and of the citizens by the state needs testing by the question, what is man? I would dare any candidate to define that, any candidate for presidency to define that. They will not. Anyone who advocates immoral propositions does not know what man is. It's man in their corrupt, distorted mind. And it is never asked what man is. The state does not know what man is and is taking more and more control of man's life. In Karl Marx, you see this ignoring of man in the pure form. The Western democracies do not know or care what man is, but they have some notion of what men want and how they are likely to react. Marx had not this notion. Those who agree with him And those who disagree are at one in calling him a sociologist. But he was not a sociologist at all. 
He was a mathematician. Listen to this, beloved. Consider a problem in arithmetic. If one boy can mow a lawn in two hours, listen, beloved. If one boy can mow a lawn in two hours, how long will it take two boys to mow it? You got that? If one boy can mow a lawn in two hours, how long will it take two boys to mow it? The answer, of course, is one hour. Two boys would take half the time that one boy would take. But this is mathematics. Now hold on, and we'll come back with reality. There's the music for our um, second break, which is very short. And we'll come back and continue with this. And again, dear ones, you won't be able to call in today because this is pre-recorded, though it is a brand new program for you. So we'll be back very soon. Don't go away. pro baseball for a long time and we play on Sundays and it was an easy excuse I, I took the easy out and just didn't go to mass got caught up on that whole selfishness that whole you know um, I can do it all the times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most and now that uh, I've come back and accepted God my world has completely changed if you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason visit catholicscomehome.org today the future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so happy to be with you. This is pre-recorded, as I keep saying, but it's a fresh, brand new, not a rerun, not an encore, freshly pre-recorded for you. We are out and about um, taking care of our new headquarters. So um, 
uh, I am reading from uh, Frank Sheed's book, uh, Society uh, and Sanity. And uh, all throughout, when he poses different um, situations in society, particularly those the state it imposes, whether it's education or other, he keeps saying, um, the state says it's fitting man for life without ever being able to define what man is or what life is for. And Frank Sheet says, this is, this is the key. And so he just said, I'm going to repeat what we just started to read. In Karl Marx, he said, you see this ignoring of man in the pure form. The Western democracies do not know or care what man is, but they have some notion of what men want and how they are likely to, rela- to react. Marx, Karl Marx, did not know what men wanted or how they were likely to react. And the example, uh, Frank Sheed says, is those who agree with him uh, and those who disagree are at, are at one in calling him a sociologist. Whether they agree with Mar- Karl Marx or not, they call him a sociologist. But Frank Sheet said, no, he was not a sociologist at all. He was a mathematician. Listen, consider a problem. We're repeating this. Consider a problem in arithmetic. If one boy can mow a lawn in two hours, how long will it take two boys to mow it? The answer, of course, is one hour. Two boys would take half the time that one boy would take, but this is mathematics. In fact, however, this is sociology, not mathematics. In fact, the two boys would start talking and arguing and wrestling. They would get their lawnmowers hopefully entangled, go off for a swim and never come back. That is sociology. This is the sense in which I say that Marx was a mathematician and not a sociologist. He solved all social problems without reference to the human element. He had only to look at the first man he met to see that the classless society would not work with human beings because he didn't want any class. Everybody was the same. Eliminate all of it. But he never looked. He had his own theory as to what man is and did not need to look. His most notable follower, who was Lenin, did not did at least look. He saw that the classless society would not fit man, but he did not let that worry him. The great socialists in foreseeing the arrival of the classless society presupposed a person not like the present man in the street. In other words, by that time, men will be different. They said, by the time we put this into operation, men will be different. That's what the people who are proposing socialism today, our candidates for president, are saying. Men are going to be different. We know. We know what they want. They don't know men. They do not know men. They do not know what man is. They didn't create man. God did. They don't know what he is, and they don't know what he's for. Um, In other words, by that time, men will be different, they think. Man, of course, is the socialist's nightmare. It would be pleasant to be able to dismiss him so cavalierly. 
but it was left to Bernard Shaw in this, as in so many things, to go the whole way. He, too, saw that what Lenin saw and Marx did not. His solution had its own charm. You remember he was an atheist. Quote from uh, Shaw, If the human race will not serve, nature must try another experiment. End quote. In other words, the classless society, it's a society without poor and medium and upper class and all of that. The classless society is an end in itself. If man is not adequate for it, then nature must find some creature that is. But for us, the problem is to construct social institutions for ourselves, not for some unknown race, not yet on the horizon. And the material available, namely men as they are, which includes their real possibilities of improvement through the sensible sociologist will not exaggerate the possibilities. This precisely is sanity, a steady refusal to lose contact with what is. I hope that wasn't all a jumble to you. You could at least get the book if you wish or re-listen to the podcast. I'm going to go on. We have just a little time left. The ignored question arises every day in relation to a man's handling of himself and his treatment of other people in the smallest personal and the largest national issues. To take a question on which there is difference of opinion, for example, is divorce or free love right? Swallows do not take one wife for life. Alley cats are promiscuous and the most rigid Pietist thinks of no worse either of swallows or alley cats. Obviously, we are back at the question of what man is. We must settle that before we can give an intelligent answer to these or any other questions of personal morality. It would be a strange coincidence if the answers were the same, whether man is a being akin to the angels or... Um, an animal which has made better use of its opportunities than the other animals, or a mere collection of electrons and protons, a chemical formula, a thing for which a doctor might write a prescription. Matters like divorce and free love, you might say, if you knew very little of the world, are personal and can safely be left to the individual to settle as he pleases. So there you go, beloved. The thousands of people say, I can do as I wish, and it's fine, know little of the world, and know nothing of God in man. Take some more general question, which cannot be written off like that. Is it right to handle men solely for our convenience? We put animals to work for us, thinking only of our needs, wholly ignoring their preferences, Our medical men use animals for their experiments, infecting them with appalling diseases, uh, vivisecting them. Is it wrong to make slaves or laboratory guinea pigs of men to vivisect men? Certainly it is wrong, you reply. You cannot treat men like animals. Personally, I agree that you cannot. 
but only because knowing what man is, I know how he differs from the lower animals and what difference the differences make, which only means that to answer the question intelligently, you have to settle what a man is. Is it not enough to say that men would suffer from being enslaved or infected with disease or sliced up? Animals do not enjoy any of these things. Why should we consider a man's feeling and not a pit ponies or a dog's? Obviously, it depends on our view of what man is. You think my examples are fantastic, he says, that it will be sufficient to answer that sort of question when it arises. Who wants to treat men like that? If you can answer that, then you have forgotten about the forced labor camps camps of Russia today, back then. The scientific experience, rather experiments on living men in German concentration camps a few years ago. You may never personally meet a man, although our whole civilization is threatened by a system that argues in favor of these things. But if you do meet such a man, you will not be able to refute his arguments unless you can state and support a view of what man is that renders them untenable. See? You can't do that to a cat. Don't do that to a cat. Well, you can do that to a cat. All right, go ahead, a guinea pig. All right. But you can't, don't do it to that person. Why not? Why? Because you can't. That's a human being. So what? So the guinea pig's a guinea pig. What's the difference? One's an animal, one's a human being. Why can't you do it to a human being? What is a human being? You see? We have to define this. I do not want, Frank Sheed says, I do not want to go on multiplying examples, every one of which will seem more obvious than the one before it. Once we are aware of this line of thought, it is clear that all intelligent sociology is bound up with it. We attach, for example, immense value to human equality. All men, we say, are equal, but equal in what? There is not a single quality in which all men are equal or in which any two men are equal. It is the phrase phrase meaningless. It has meaning only on one condition, a condition which most of those who use it do not fulfill. All men are equal only in the sense that all men are equally men, just as all triangles are triangles or or elephants, elephants, so that men are equal to one another in all that is involved in being a man. But we do not know what is involved in being a man till we know what a man is. How's your head going? Are you exhausted? This is terrific. This is terrific. The ability to ask these questions is almost more important than the answer. The ability to think. And he says, I repeat that in quiet times where customs long established go their untroubled way, questions like this might be left to the philosopher. But in our own day, there is not a single human institution that is not under fire. 
every question under discussion, every revolutionary idea, and every conservative reaction all boil down to the question, how should man be treated? And we can only answer this in the light of our view of what man is. No society can be united if it is not united about this fundamental question. The United Kingdom is not thus united, nor the United States, nor the United Nations. The case is not so bad with the first two because both our nations inherit certain ways of living and acting together established by ancestors who did agree as to what man is. The United Nations has no such common past. There is neither present agreement in principle as to how man should be treated, nor any agreement in practice flowing out of a long past. For the United Nations has no past, and its constituent members inherent, inherit no common attitude to man. But we are of the United States or the United Kingdom. We of the United States or the United Kingdom are in only slightly better case. We will not forever go on agreeing in practical action when all agreement about the reality involved has vanished. Amazing, huh? Don't you wish you could unwind history and go back to the point that this went off the rails? Because there are few of us, I think, who even follow this and understand it and want to live it. The new generation knows little of this thinking. It is utterly selfish, utterly me-oriented. The world revolves around the individual. Finally, I will just read a little bit more. Frank Shee, he said, My personal experience is that it is intensely difficult to persuade anyone to settle down to thought along these lines. The first reaction is usually of the bluff and hardy type, with a question perhaps of Robert Burns' famous line, a man's a man for a that, end quote. The dialogue does not help. The line tells us that a man is a man. Splendid, but what is a man? Oy, oy, oy. Okay, don't get frustrated. Don't give up, beloved. Let's learn how to think and live God's plan for mankind. God bless you, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Don't go away. Well, go away. Have a good night's sleep. We'll see you in the morning. God bless you.